So I have a question for you. I'm ready. Were you surprised that they brought the Borg back? No. Really? Because I know that the Borg are like a really big thing. Well, yeah, that that's true in the abstract. I haven't are. met. They haven't met Seven of Nine yet, so I knew there would be Borg. How do you know who Seven of Nine is? Because everyone are you secretly watching Voyager? No, no, no. I just know that because that's don't a, do that. I know that that's a thing. Okay, that's just in the zeitgeist of the culture. It's in the zeitgeist of the culture. Like, like you know, people do like costumes and stuff. Or guys are like, my first crush was Seven of Nine. Oh, okay. I don't talk to people, so I don't know these things. Well, that's that's a thing that happened. I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised you're not surprised that they brought the Borg back, but I mean, they they were they are such an effective. Well, that yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they're 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 so difficult to to stop they painted them as such an unstoppable enemy that to bring them back seems very difficult to me well here's the thing like i i think in this episode they pulled it off like the i'm not surprised they bought brought them back i'm surprised they found a completely new wrinkle to add to them yeah okay. like this was the the borg episodes have been so far there was holy shit this is the borg they are this juggernaut and then we had episodes about how do we actually fight them. Right. And now here's an episode that's going even further and saying, well, are they this monolithic, unstoppable force that cannot be reasoned with, cannot be – and this episode is saying, well, it's a little more complicated than that. And I thought – I mean I loved this. I absolutely loved this episode. Okay. This yeah. would probably – will probably be going and be one of my favorite episodes by the end. Yeah, this feels like a, a, a throwback episode in a way. I mean, yeah, because yeah, yeah. there's a lot of really, really, you know, the 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 best of both worlds was was such a watershed moment for the series, yeah. and it was so tonally different, I think, from the rest of the series. I mean, that was that was you know that you you I don't know anything about the next generation movies, uh-huh. but that one felt almost like a movie. It was yeah. the big, but you know, if they had done some tweaking and released that as a theatrical movie, I would say, okay, yeah, that's fine. It's it's a big enough plot. The budget is obviously bigger for that. Everything is firing all cylinders on that one. Like, that seems like the big moment. I saw it in the theater. It works pretty well. Okay. Yeah, um, I can see that. But yeah, I know I know what you mean. And um, so, so for that reason, I think it was difficult to bring the Borg back because how do you top that, really? Yeah, and, and, and they went smaller then. Well, that's the thing. They went smaller. They went in a completely different direction. And I think that that was really smart of them. Yeah, that was – this was a – I mean, this epi- it was a very well done episode, but it was a very clever episode. I mean, this episode is – this is a very Trek episode in that, I mean, it's about finding humanity even within the Borg. Yeah. It's about... And or I, Borgmanity. Yeah. Um, And I loved that it lets all of the characters be wrong for a little while. Yeah. It lets Guinan be wrong. Guinan... I mean, and that's, I think, what impressed me most about the episode. We've seen Picard wrong. We've seen all of the characters be wrong before. Right. Guinan has never been wrong. Guinan has always said her little weird little parable and given the wise advice and been the insightful one. And here we – I mean this episode humanized her too in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I loved that about this episode. Well, what I find is interesting about this episode is that you know this is really only the third time that we've ever seen the Borg. Yeah. You know, so we saw them first in, in Q-Who. We saw them again in Best of Both Worlds obviously and now we see them in I-Borg. And – 
this gives us a very different conception of the Borg, I think, in some ways. And so, you know, the implication, of course, is that the understanding of the Borg was that, yes, they're an organic race. It's a cyborg race that they have a shared consciousness. And I think the the sort of I don't know that the show ever really said this outright, but but the implication is that the Borg as individual units are almost empty shells and they have no thoughts of their yeah. own. They have no feelings. They don't have a personality. They're dumb terminals that are connecting to a central server essentially. Exactly. And and what this episode tells us is that that is wrong. Yeah. And that it's much more morally ambiguous than Picard and the rest of the crew thought. Well, here's the thing. Like, we, we've seen the Borg are – I mean, and this episode even goes as far as to say, you know, your way of life is the complete opposite of our way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one time well, – I mean, Picard became a Borg for a while and it was explicitly stated to be the most horrible experience of his life and one of the worst things that can happen to a person. Sure. And here, Hugh talks about being a Borg – as if it's very nice and comforting. Right. And that complicates it too because, again, we've seen the Borg as an evil, cancerous force when we see what it thinks of itself in this episode in a very different way, in a way that's at home with itself. Well, I wonder about that because, you know, one of the things that I think is really smart about the episode is that it doesn't really ever make a a clear sort of distinction one way or the other about, you know, did Hugh make the right decision about going back to the Borg or not? And yeah, I mean, it's right in the sense that it's the one that won't kill the enterprise, but sure. Yeah. But I think that, that, that what you're saying is, is sort of valid and sort of not because of course, yeah, he, if, if you, if you kind of extrapolate that out to its logical conclusion, of course, you know, you know, Hugh or third of five or whatever you want to call him, um, is kind of having some sort of Stockholm syndrome. I mean, you yeah. know, you can, we can infer that, you know, as we saw Borg babies and I think best of both worlds. Yes. Um, so, so the implication of course, is that they are sort of breeding uh, a, a biological stock to create more Borg. You mm-hmm. know, they don't just assimilate people, but they all, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, know, yeah. we know they can assimilate people because we saw them assimilate Picard, but I mean, maybe we don't even understand as if, you know, members of a certain race that was converted into Borg die, they grow a new one, you know? I don't know what you mean. Yeah, like, like, let's say the Borg have assimilated humans. Yeah. A formerly human Borg dies. Well, they need to replace him. So they create a human baby and Borg it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's exactly how it works. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the implication, I think, is that Hugh was never an individual. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that Hugh was always a Borg. And so, you know, I, I don't know exactly how psychologically damaging that would be, but when you're disconnected from the thing and the, the culture that you know, of course you're going to talk about it nicely because that's all you know. I mean, yeah. we see this over and over again. I mean, abused children, you know, want to go home and, you know, battered wives and all kinds of things where, where they're yeah, in yeah, bad yeah, situations, but but they, they feel at home there and they feel comfortable there. So you can, you can acclimate yourself to anything. And I don't want to really, you know, I don't want to say that the episode is saying that it's a good thing to be a Borg. And I don't think that it's saying no. that Hugh wants to be a Borg. And I mean, you can make as much of an argument for, well, the enterprise Stockholm syndrome, Tim too, because they really were the ones who captured him in this episode. Yeah. I, well, but I mean, yes. And no, I think because... what, but the thing is the episode 
is aware of kind of all of these. Well, I think that that's really the thing, though, and I think that's kind of the smart part part of the episode is that they don't really ever do anything to Hugh. Like they're not trying; they're not consciously trying to disassociate himself psychologically from the Borg. Yeah, it happens because he's disconnected from the collective and. And he has to rely on his own brain for the first time. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is, of course, he's, he's like a child because he doesn't really know anything. Yeah. But what, what's really interesting about that is that they're not pushing this on him. They're not saying, we're going to disconnect you and you're going to be an individual. They really are under the assumption that he's not going to be a person and that he's just going to yeah. stand in the corner and occasionally go over and stick his arm in the it's socket the thing he and then they're going to give him the thing and he's going to go off and destroy the Borg. Well, it, and what yeah. they, what they find is that once they disconnect him from the, from the Borg collective is that he really is kind of this emergent personality. I mean, he, he in a way reflects how he's being treated. I mean, it's really all of this comes from Crusher. She is the one and this is kind of where they're taking Crusher's personality. And I like this part about her where she is, a doctor to degree where she doesn't give a shit who you are. If you're bleeding, she's going to fix you. Yeah. You know, and she's made several times where she's, re- you know, refused to leave an enemy combatant, you know, or, you know, whatever. Um, so she's the one who insists, no, th- I don't care what this guy is. You know, he's I got to fix this. And, you know, as more people end up just spending time with, again, Jordy even says, like, it was easier to just give him a name and then. You know, they start acting as if he is an individual, and he picks up on that and starts acting more as if he's an individual, and he begins to be open to – I mean, when they say, like, we don't wish to be assimilated and we will resist, like, these are mind-blowing concepts to him. Right. And he really runs with what he's been given. Yeah. No, I think so. But I think that that it's not anything that they're pushing on. No, 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 no. It's just they're acting – because they act from an individualistic culture. It doesn't even occur to them to, you know, to say we are Borg is, see, it sounds like a grammatical anomaly. You know, right. even just the concept of saying I and you, well, you need a real name, you know, and that's just, that's something that none of the people on the Enterprise even think about. It's just that's the way things are. And so he is going to naturally react to that. I mean, you know, Sapir Whorf hypothesis is wrong, but you do, you know, the episode almost suggests that you, uh, you, your personality is culturally created to a degree. I mean, to some degree, of but course. I, but I think that 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 you know he is. I don't know that we can make a distinction between whether or not he would be like this. You know, is he inside and is he sort of beating? What is he like? You know, inside his yeah. own head, beating to get out when he's on a board cube. I mean, I don't think so. But who really knows? And I don't think that the episode has an answer for that. But here's something interesting, though. I mean, this is actually reminding me a little bit about Perfect Mate because, in a way, she has an amorphous personality, which is based on other people. But I mean, this is much more better done. I will say. Well, sure. You know, yeah. obviously they've thought the Borg out through more often, but I mean, this episode is dealing with, like I said, it doesn't necessarily have answers for these questions, and, but I think the characters are very aware that this is something we can't completely understand, and, you know, wh- what does it mean that we don't understand this? What are we dealing with? What is right in the face of that? 
Well, that's and that's really the thing, and I think that's sort of the smart thing about the yeah. episode is that there is some hubris involved here, where they all sort of think that they know exactly what the Borg are, yeah. Even though they've only ever, only ever encountered the Borg a couple of times, and you know, of course, Picard is coming at this from a very different perspective from yeah. everybody else because he was a Borg Dang. and he is. He has that experience of having his his personhood subsumed into a collective identity. And so Well that's oh, that's interesting, actually, if you think about it, because in a way, Hugh is kind of an analog of Lacutus. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, you know, again, the being a Borg is seen by Picard as the worst torture possible, and he's I mean, the episode makes it clear that he wants to destroy every single Borg as a measure of revenge, as his final, like, this is how I can actually get over this. Because right. he does know that the Borg are still vaguely out there. Right. Um, but, you know, and the fact that Hugh finds, you know, being a Federation person pleasant and empowering. I mean, yeah, maybe that's... I mean, I don't think the ep- you're right. The episode doesn't really say that being a Borg is a good thing, but and I also think that that, that frankly, I think that that you know, Hugh is perhaps he is having a different reaction to this than another Borg would have, and you that's know, and fair think, too. Yeah, I think that's you know we can't forget that because of course if we're talking about uh, creating you know disconnecting a Borg from the collective and and, and having them yeah. develop some sort of individual personality, of course you know he just might have the kind of personality that that makes him feel comfortable. In this. Yeah, and the other Borg may not feel that way. They make the Borg seem. I mean, the Borg are almost as individual selves in a main body. I mean, right. each has its own specialization and something different that is inherent to it but with everything else added to that so in a way he's almost you know Hugh is a fraction of the Borg and right. you know with the Borg removed he's filling it up with Inus, I guess because that's where he is he is on the Federation I mean he is going to absorb the Federation values that are around him. But I think, I think you see that very clearly in, toward, towards the end yeah. of the episode when, when Picard finally talks to him and, and, you know, Hugh misidentifies him as Locutus. And so of course Picard is, is Im- immediately like, yes, I am Locutus. Yeah. He like, sees what's an opportunity. On? Like, yeah. He's seeing it as the, as an opportunity to really kind of get at, you know, who, who Hugh is. And I, and I think it's even further. Like he is basically saying, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. And yeah, he was refusing to punch him. I mean, he's he, at this point, Picard wants the excuse to be able to use Hugh in this way. And he's, if if Hugh d- d- shows even the tiniest fraction of being Borg in that scene, Picard is looking for any, you know, crack in that Hugh as an individual uh, thing. He's looking for any scrap of Borgness left in him as an excuse to destroy the entire Borg collective. Right. And he's not finding that. Right. And right. it's, I mean, that I loved that scene for that reason, you know? I mean, it, it, it's a... It's a very interesting tack for this show to take to make it morally unjustifiable to destroy a unambiguously evil monolith because it makes it clear that unambiguously evil monolith is not a thing. Yeah. This show, yeah. again, the show doesn't believe that anybody is truly inherently to the core evil and this episode is saying, well, we have to go as far as to include the Borg in that. Well, right, because I think 
the 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 Borg themselves, like as a collective sort of identity, yeah, might be evil. I don't know. Evil but, is an emergent behavior of the system, right? Or the desire to assimilate is an emergent behavior of the system. Maybe the Borg, you know, the Borg don't think of themselves as evil because that's just their nature. We think of this as evil because of again the you know the humanity's need for individualism. Right. Right. Yeah, I think so. But I also think that 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 you know what what that scene really lays bare and I think also there are some other parts of the episode that that you know in in yeah. a sense I mean this isn't really an episode about Hugh this is an episode about Picard because yes. of course you know he is not over his experiences no. and I don't think that you ever really could be over something like no, that. No, he's not having the nightmares anymore but Right, exactly. And so or is he? I don't know. I mean he uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, and I think, you know, that, that the episode is really smart to to not downplay that. I mean, you've got that scene with, with Troy at the very beginning where she's kind of like, hey, you want to talk? And Picard's like, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm over it. Yeah. And it's very obvious And saying that he's not. I'm, I'm over it in a way that, yeah. Yeah, everybody knows that he's not over it, but he's over it enough that he's able to sort of get by. He's functional now. He's and functional when, now. In the months following it, he was not functional until family. But I think that this is the closest that we've ever seen Picard to becoming sort of uh, unhinged in a way, you yeah. know, and and it's a very controlled unhinged because it's Picard we're talking yeah. about. But but it's kind of scary to see him lose control like this because and, he has a plan that will work that will genocide an entire species. Right. And he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. And and so for me, it's interesting because, you know, there's there's two two lines in the episode that really, I think. Are, are what Picard's arc in this episode are, which is that very early on he's saying, well, look, we're at war and we're, yeah. we're justified in doing whatever we have to do to survive. Right. Yes. And then at the end of the episode, he basically says the complete opposite. And he says, we are not justified in using this person to yeah. destroy his race, even though they want to kill us. And that's completely different. That's a completely different thing. I don't think that. And the th- the thing is, I don't think that Picard believes what he said in the first part of the episode. Yeah. I don't think he believes that well, whatever you do is justified in war. I mm-hmm. don't think he believes that. I think it's he has such a strong reaction to the Borg that he's losing. No, this is him mind. getting his revenge on. You know, again, he seems he, he's one of those people who. You know, fought in World War II and irrationally hates every single German they meet, you know? Right. Um, right. Or like O'Brien in The Wounded with the Cardassians. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, you know, that that's a legitimate uh, reaction that people coming home from war have because you do have all of this. Essentially, your training is to view these people as killable. Right. And then, you know, you don't have the D. De- programming in a way but and i mean the borg just make it that much easier well, because of course they are no individual borg well that's the thing i mean that that's the interest you know at one point he's saying to crusher like you know look there aren't you know she's saying oh you know yeah it's a war but you know does that justify and she's he says like there are no civilians you know and right. she says like oh that's very convenient you know what they do is make Hugh into a civilian yeah and they're yeah. you know and again they make it very clear that you know i, I mean if if I think because I, I was about to say, you know, if they could make a way of killing every Borg except Hugh, that would be, you know, something. But at the same time, I think this episode broaches the possibility of other Borg coming to this. Again, they say that, you know, instead of showing this t- topological anomaly as the virus 
essentially the virus that they implant in the Borg is the virus of individuality. Right, right. They, they just – the episode implies by that like half look that he gives Jordy at the end that he has retained some measure of this and that, again, the Borg take – every single member of the Borg take every single other member's experience. Some of them are going to see Inus and want it. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, that really, you know, that that's kind of what the episode is, is, is about at the end of the day yeah. is, is, you know, and that's why I say it's not really about the Borg and it's not really about Hugh, although he does have a nice arc. Yeah. You know, he's not an interesting enough person to hang an entire episode on. Um, and, this... I, and I think that if they had tried, I think it would have been a much weaker episode. Of course. But I think what, what you're really seeing there is the crew of the Enterprise and Picard and Guinan in particular. Yeah. And I want to talk about Picard and Guinan because yeah. there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, they're, they're realizing that they had a different conception of what the Borg were. And they were morally justified, perhaps, in destroying the Borg because if the Borg are just one entity and there's no hope for any of the individual yeah. units, I don't even think they ever really thought about individual Borg. Yeah. You know, there it's the Borg, right? And now that they realize that, Hey, wait a second. If you disconnect a Borg drone from the collective, there's some sort of emergent personality there that yeah. these are, these are people that are in a sense imprisoned and, we can't justify killing prisoners. Yeah. Even though they are sort of not exact. It's not an exact analogy, yeah. but, but you know what I'm saying? Well, like, I mean, like, the, you know, the episode makes it clear being in the Federation being is hard because these are moral clusterfucks. There right. is no right answer. And there could be another ship that would decide that at the end. No, it is justified. Right. You know, but Again, I think, you know, one of the reasons we've we've talked about why are we following this crew? And I think the episode, I mean, this show makes it clear that we follow this crew because at the end of the day, they do do the right thing. Right. And they are going to live up to what Starfleet thinks it is. The ideals of the Federation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But but at the end of the day, though, too, you have to wonder, you know, did, did Picard call this in? I mean, was he just sort of like going a half cocked? I mean, was he in a sense... Um, you know, like the, the, the captain from, um, yeah, the one episode where he was just sort of like going off because he knew the Cardassians were having weapons the, and blah, blah, blah. The one we just talked about them, O'Brien and yeah. Episode. Right. So, so is that kind of what's happening? Uh, yeah. I was going to say, did, did, has he report, did he report to Starfleet? We found a Borg. Never mind. We let the Borg go. Right. <laughs> like what, what did he actually say to anybody? You know, I, I don't know. And that's kind of a troubling part of the episode. And I think mm. it's to the episode's credit that it never even raises that question because yeah. that's the kind of thing where it's better for the audience to kind of go, wait a second. Yeah. We've always kind of understood that, you know, Picard is reporting, sending in most of his logs and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Right. Or he at least at the end of the day has, you know, calls the Federation and says, oh, here, you know, he makes his report. Right. But, yeah, did he report this one? I don't know. I do want to talk about Picard and Guinan because I think that that you know Guinan has sort of been not great recently. Yeah, um, but she hasn't had that much to work with. She hasn't had that much to work with, but I but I think in this episode, you know, when you get Guinan in an episode with the Borg and you get her playing off, yeah. off John, you know, Picard, it is really good, and and you know, she's really. 
she's really the only person on the ship that can talk to Picard. Yeah. Like she knows more than he does in a sense. And, you know, she, she is really supposed to be, you know, go back. I mean, it's kind of like an echo of best of both worlds when, when Picard was lost and Riker was captain of the enterprise and Guinan comes into his ready room yeah. and Riker's like, I, I, he's not having any of this. And Guinan's like, yeah, well deal with it. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, going to talk yeah. to you and I'm going to give you a piece of my mind and you do with it yeah. what you want. It's the same exact thing she's doing here yeah. where, you know, she's saying in his quarters, look, if you're going to use this person and that's when he's sort of like, you know, the, I mean, that's a really strong part. Anytime that, that, that Patrick Stewart gets to yell, it's great. You know, where he stand up and, you know, yells yeah. his thing about, oh, he's not a person, he's a Borg. And she, re- you know, she reiterates the point because she knows that he needs to hear it. Yeah. And that is what I find really interesting about it is, you know, they're really, they start off the episode in the same place. And then once Guinan goes and talks to him, it's it's a different sort of thing entirely. And she has to sort of convince Picard that he needs to talk to him. Yeah. And he needs to see what's going on because, you know... Picard even says as much toward the end of the episode that he's staying away from Hugh because he didn't want to have his yeah. judgment clouded by meeting him. But but Guinan is saying, look, you need to have your judgment clouded. I mean, I think it's really interesting because she ends up – I mean, she's – at the first, when they're having the fencing, he's, you know, expressing, you know, oh, I don't know. And she's very much saying, like, he should not be on the ship. He is a full stop of danger. And, you know, Picard's the one who's going to say, well, we're just going to see how this pans out. You know, we'll right. take precautions. Um, And this is her saying, like, look, no, I was wrong. Like, you need to, you know, it was right to keep him on the ship and you can't. You know, he is, I mean, I love that she uses one of her parables, you know, the thing about how she pretends to be wounded and, you know, he, yeah, you know, and she, yeah. she attacks and says, you know, you felt sorry for me. You know, definitely he's going to do the same thing to, you know. And she has to say, like, look, no, that that was not – again, it, it humanizes her that she's not this almost superhuman figure who's always right and who's always wise and who's always, you know, going to – you know, always this morally right figure, you know. She questions her own judgment as well. Well, and I think and I think in a sense, yeah, she's questioning her own judgments because that is what people on this show do, right? Because, yes. Because they are people that will not – uh, will not double down on something that they're wrong with if they if they think that they're, yeah, they're wrong, wrong yeah. about it. Do you know what I mean? They will change their minds. And, you know, you think about this in terms of this is kind of another part of her backstory again that, you know, she talks about how the Borg destroyed her home and destroyed her race and there's not that many of them left yeah. and all these kind of things. You know, th- she's a very damaged person oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. And, you know, she probably has... Well, she obviously has more psychological distance from it than Picard does, but you know Picard is coming at this from perhaps a similar psychological place, but for a very different reason. And these are the two people on the ship that have been the most damaged by the Borg, and they're the ones that are really saying, "Oh, we shouldn't do this." You know, for Jordy to say it, all right, well, Jordy is Jordy. Jordy's used to bonding with half machines. It, well, hey, mm. <laughs> uh, Beverly too. I mean, of course, she's a doctor, yeah. and she's very, you know, and and so. That is what I think is is most striking about it is that, you know, Picard is allowed to be wrong, and Picard is not allowed to be wrong very often. Yeah, and 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 when he's finally, when he's finally convinced that he's wrong, he's like, okay, I'm wrong. But again, that's the and what is the episode? Is it First Contact where uh, 
you know, you know, where 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 Picard admits that he did something wrong, and the guy says, "Well, that makes me trust you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that—that's the thing, Picard. Yeah, Picard will admit when he's made an error in judgment, which yeah, because he's not setting himself—he's not setting himself up to be some sort of god. He's just a person who's he trying to do the right fall- thing. Yeah, yeah, he knows. Maybe he's most of the time he will do the right thing because yes, he's Captain Picard. He is the coolest guy on the you know in the galaxy, but. Even he may messes up. Even he he's human. And also, frankly, I think it's interesting that you know everyone on everyone in this episode that talks about Picard's experiences with the Lucutus is not really. They're using very interesting language because they're all this. they're all referencing Picard's experience. Do you know what I said? Yeah. They're using that very, you know, and this is a psychologically damaging. I mean, he was basically. He was tortured. <laughs> he was tortured. And, and so the fact that they're all sort of skirting around it to, to that degree. I mean, this is not really a crew that skirts around things. Yeah. He's not comfortable with this still. And I think they all know it. Mm. And that paints it in a very interesting light as well, because. It's almost as though they all know he's not quite okay with this, but they're yeah. still going to go with it because he's the captain. I, I was going to say, you have, they all, I mean, they, that is actually really interesting, though, if you think about it, because they all basically do say, like, you know, I don't feel good about this, you know. Right. I, I, I don't, you know, Beverly says at one point, like, you know, look, I'm doing my job, but I don't have to like it, you know. Right. Uh Jordy says, like, I'm going to do this, but this I don't feel right about. You know, they, they they all admit this, but, yeah, they're just kind of following orders in a way. And, I mean, the Borg are just all following a general orders. Yeah, and isn't that really interesting? Yeah, but, again, that's the... But the Borg don't have a choice in it, whereas... Well, that's it. They are all... And it really... I mean, it isn't until... You know, Guinan opens her mouth that, you know, again, and she we've said this before, she's outside of the general power. She's, you know, she doesn't report to Picard. You right. know, she doesn't, he doesn't, you know, she is allowed to be, uh, you know, I'm sure if he said, you know, she's not allowed to be bartender, you know, yeah, but beyond that, it's not like he's going to fire her. Right, and right. And so, but, he, you know, they, again, the Federation is a place where you can and should question the leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And because it wants to do the right thing, it doesn't want blind obedience. Right. And that's why the again, that's why the Federation are considered the good guys. That's why the Federation are considered the good guys, but I also think that that interestingly enough, this is kind of in the best tradition of Star Trek because I think, you know, in a different kind of television show, I think that this would have been seen as a very stupid thing to do, you know? Oh, and, yeah. and so there's almost a sort of like blind optimism to this where they are doing something because they think it's right, damn the consequences. And, you know, they're they're basically, they're willing to go to bat for Hugh, even though doing so may mean that the Borg invade them again. Yeah, again, at the very end, they basically say, like, look, if you need asylum, we'll give it to you. You know, we know that's going to be something really bad. We know the Borg are going to come for us, but we'll deal with it, you know. Right. And... That that is the Federation living up to its ideals because in the best way I think yeah because know? let's face it the Federation does grant asylum to you know and will do but it just fought the Borg not that long ago a couple it, years ago yeah, yeah and you know it 
ruin the Federation's forces. It's probably just starting to get back up to speed. It's it's not prepared for another Borg war. Borg no, war. no. And probably and especially one after the Borg know that humans are not to be trifled with. They're right. going to send a dozen Borg cubes this time. You know? Right, exactly. So I think that's really the implication too. And of course, also you have to wonder, you know, why is the Borg scout ship there in the first place? I mean, well, of course, you know, they're, the very beginning of the episode, let's not forget, they're charting the Argolis cluster for possible colonization. And here's the Borg. Yeah, it's not good for colonization. <laughs> it's it's not good for colonization, and also it it indicates that they're not as far out as they thought they were. Yeah, and that the Borg are probably going to be coming again at some point. Mm. And then what does that mean? Well, we'll find out. Um, I will give this episode ten. I will give it two hues. Two only because it rhymes with hue. Oh, okay. Well, let's move on to. The next phase. I liked this one, but I also will be okay if I never see it again. I really like this episode. I think it's fun. I think it's a nice change of pace from Iborg. Yeah. You know, Iborg is a very, very bleak, very serious, dramatic episode with a lot of tension. And this is not that. I mean, it was a, it was, this was a rompy episode where we got to see two characters who don't normally have adventures having adventures. Well, this is a good time to check yeah. in. What, what are you thinking of Ensign Rowe? I love Ensign Rowe. Yeah. I, I, like I think she is the, it's, it's good that we have a decent, you know, female character on the show. Like they write her fairly well. I think she's, her arc so far has been interesting to watch. I mean, it's the predictable arc that we knew she would get in which, by which I mean, she gets more competent, more confident. She becomes friendlier, you know, while still remaining a bit of her, you know, sharp, you know, defiant self, you know, like that's where we knew Ensign Rowe would go the right. second we saw her episode. Right. Sure. Um, but still, it's nice to see that. It's nice to see her laughing in an episode. It's nice to see her bonding with another crew member, you know, one that she probably never would have before. It's nice to see them. And I mean, the, it's nice to see the Romulans in a plot that actually makes sense. To some degree. Well, they, they, they make an experimental engine and... But again, the Romulans are not very good at what they do. They try to blow up the Enterprise, but they don't do it well. But that, that was, that was fine. I get what their goal was. I get what their methods used to get that goal were. I get why they were doing it. And if it failed, well, that was because the Enterprise is just that much better. And, you know, it's certainly more, much more straightforward than whatever the hell Sella was doing, because I still don't understand that arc. Um, but, you know, I mean, that, that was fine. That was good. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think the Romulans in the episode are, are, are as good as they can be. Although I think that the Romulan guy who chased Roe through the corridors of the Enterprise yeah. is kind of a dick. And I'm not really sure why he was doing that. Uh, for, but... And when they first saw that, I thought, oh, shit, they have phased troops. Like, uh, that makes sense. That's actually a really clever wrinkle. But then I almost get the implication that he accidentally became, you know, because he says, like, oh, you have a way to get us back. Like, yeah, it which, seems like it was an accidental thing for him as well. Yeah, which implies that they're not, you know, making troops, because let's face it, that would probably be about the best thing that, you know, that if the Romulans were able to cloak, cloak and phase people, 
that that's probably the best spy you could ever get. Yeah, unless you <laughs> can't unphase them, and then that's a problem. Well, but you know, it seems fairly trivial to do so. Yeah, and I, I, but you know, you don't, and yeah, and then he's just, he's just a momentary exciting thing that doesn't go anywhere. I I kind of like this episode because it it's it's kind of, it's it's a good opportunity for everyone to fail. Like if it weren't for Ensign Rowe and Jordy LaForge running oh, yeah. around adventuring and being little detective twins, the Enterprise would have exploded. Oh yeah, and was... no one would have known what happened. And I kind of like that they're able to you know, on, on the one hand, you know, we've talked a lot about this crew and why they're so good and everything. But on the other hand, it's like, well, the Romulans almost got one over on them this time. Yeah. And we don't really think about it. But if it weren't for the two of them, they would all be dead. And I mean, they and they also f- almost fail in a way that doesn't make them stupid, though. Like, it's just they overlook. They don't realize these implications. Again, they they don't even know that anything's going on. Well, Why kinda, would they? Well, it's kinda, well. I mean, to be to be honest, though, it's the Romulans, and they should never trust the Romulans well, yeah. ever. But but again, you know, we had just had an episode where they trusted and helped Borg, and it turned out all right. Well, that's true, but <laughs> I think there's a difference between naivete and stupidity. That's it. They they and, they want they you know Picard hopes against hope that. Oh, we saved you. Well, we're going to be friends now, and this is going to be the start of a... I mean... He even says as much. Yeah, Picard's an optimist to the thing where he thinks that one tiny moment of friendship is going to blossom into a... And and this is not that moment. I mean, I think about Star Trek VI, in which that was the moment for the Klingon Empire and the Federation. Right. Um, And we saw how well that worked out. Yeah, well. um, (laughs) But it certainly worked out better than anything with the Romulans. Well, that is true. That is true. But I think I, Picard is, keeps waiting for that moment to happen with the Romulans. He want maybe he just. I mean, maybe this is a moment where the Federation optimism is a weakness as well as a strength because he wants to believe so hard in the Romulans that I'm I'm laughing for a very specific reason that will not become obvious for probably a couple of years, I, and then we'll forget about it. You'll forget about it, but uh, yeah, just try and remember you said that. Because, what did I say? I don't know. You said something <laughs> about the Romulans and optimism and how we yeah. should all be very nice to them. Oh, so that's that's yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I see what you're saying, and I think that you know Picard is not being stupid. I think Picard is an optimist. There's you know he's not naive, yeah. but he's also you know I mean we we know that he's not naive again. But... He did, I mean, and he probably also doesn't think that. You know, he he obviously doesn't know that there's a bomb in the engine. So, right. again, maybe if he even if he thinks, well, the Romulans, we're still not going to be friends, but we get enough incidents like this, and it's going to, again, when they were on Romulus, he very they made the point of we're not fight. You know, these people on the street, you know, this woman op- running this cafe, they're not our enemies. Right. You know, right. He, it, while maybe a culture may be wrong or right, individuals can can be right. I don't know. And I think he maybe he thinks yeah. maybe he thinks this cap you know these people on this Romulan ship are going to are not are civilian you know or are going to do the right thing, 
And he wants, again, he wants them to. Well, it seems like he thinks that, right? I mean, it seems like yeah. they all think that. I mean, perhaps Worf doesn't think that because Worf doesn't. And finally, Worf doesn't finally, think, someone listened to him. Yes. He's like, I have a legitimate security concern in there. And Riker's like, yes, you do. Let's, uh, let's do this one. You know, you're right. For once, you're right. And it's like, they finally fucking listened to him. And he's right. I know. Because they're trying to fuck them over again. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's the thing. Like, he just, like, Worf felt like, I got my victory. And then he, like, didn't pay attention to anything else suspicious. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, like, there's there's a degree to which everyone is very credulous in this episode. that It kind of doesn't make any sense. Because, of course, you know, I'm thinking about the scene where, where Jordy is even like, Data, come on. Like, w- like would you stop being so logical? And yeah. it's kind of like, this is working. You just need to figure out what the fuck is I, going on. I, and and to me, it's like you know the the stuff with the Jordy and Ensign Rowe is all fine as far as it goes, but there's there's a degree to which you sort of have to have a, a suspension of disbelief for this episode to work because of course in that scene where he's sort of like sticking his hand, I in the know, console, like it's like why don't you just spell high? write your name like, or like do a do a mathematical pattern like just get a fib, punch up Fibonacci sequence in there so Data sees oh there's something regular about this right and then from there you can go into Morse code you know yeah. you can go into <laughs> yeah it's like put a dot dot and a dash and you're good yeah there's, like... there's, there's some sort of thing that you can do there and so I mean part of it is just maybe Jordy was was hungry because he hadn't eaten in a day but yeah yeah there's some of that and then also they just gotta face some hamburgers. <laughs> There's there's little things about the episode that are sort of like okay well the disruptor works but their com badges don't work. Oh my uh, question is why don't they well, why don't they fall through the floor? Oh, like uh, why why how is she able to go into a turbo lift? How can they do a shuttle? Well the 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 bulkheads of all starships are made of a muon resistant material. Which means that people that are phased, yeah. But then the, the Romulan goes through the wall, right? Because the wall is not a the wall is not a, a floor bulkhead; it's a side. So bulkhead. they could and trip so over the wall and just fall through the wall. They could, yeah, but which, not the floors, right? That makes no sense, right? Look, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I know that's the problem with ghosts in general. Yeah, but. that's the problem with ghosts in general. You just kind of got to go with it, right? I mean, there's there's really no way around it. You just like, okay, well, <laughs> this is how it works. But you know, still, I mean, I like that they take this episode into some lightly spiritual places. But not in a way which is ham-fisted or obnoxious, and it's just kind of more of a character note to Ensign Rowe rather than a what the episode is about. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, you know, when Ensign Rowe first appeared in her in her eponymous yeah. episode, there was a lot of talk about how she was very separated from her culture. Yeah. And, you know, have they talked at all about Bajoran? Like, was a Bajoran religious thing? It, it, they definitely mentioned that there is a, a specific religious tradition. Yeah. I get the sense it is fairly ceremonial, especially with... You know, they mentioned this two-hour death chant that she thinks is – and I love her reaction to that. But um, So she doesn't have a lot of patience for all of this. Well, I, you know, you get the sense that it's – you know, she's like somebody who grew up Catholic and went to all these masses and, you know, knows all of these traditions. And there right. are these very – again, it's very ritualized or ornate. And while she doesn't – she doesn't – she finds it boring. She It's not one that really speaks to her and it's one that she doesn't – follow but at the same time she was raised in this this is a part of who she is and i mean that's her speech at the end you know when she says like look i i made my own thing but you know at the same time like 
you're right, I'm just one person, and this is what my entire culture says. And what does that mean? You know, I was, you know, this is something going back, you know, decades and, you know, centuries and centuries. Is this really, you know, have I really, am I really that much smart? You know, and, you know, I like that that's where this episode takes her. Yeah, well, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, she's definitely a character which um, she doesn't want anything to do with her culture, but she feels very bound by it at the same time. Yeah, because she she is – she's always going to be known as a Bajoran. There's no way she can hide it. Well, it's also – I think it's less that she's always going to be known as a Bajoran, but I think that that she's the kind of person where we all know people like this, you know, sort of like ex-Catholics that still are – like people that never get over high school, for example, right? Like people that have a bad time in high school and just never get over it. And it's like certain people are just – like that and certain people just aren't like that and so she's definitely the kind of person that never got over high school and so when she's in a situation where you know she's always she's always framing her identity in opposition to the thing that she doesn't like and so when she's in a situation which is very very hard for her to understand her immediate reaction is to go oh shit i was wrong yeah. And actually I'm dead and this is Yeah, I was gonna say she she recognizes, you know, what she's been taught about the afterlife, you know, in this and she's you know, yeah. Which is which is an interesting direction for her character to go because of course we don't think she's going to go there. You know, she's very headstrong, she's very stubborn, and she doesn't give up. And and she's paired with Jordy, who has such an analytic analytical mind yeah. that it, it's a weird pairing, but it works. And so what you get is almost the exact opposite of what you think you're going to get, which is that Jordy and Ensign Rowe are going to work together to solve this mystery. Whereas at the very beginning, it's like she's freaking out because she thinks she's dead and Jordy has to kind of like talk her down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, she thinks she's figured out. She's like, all right, I've got to go into the light and, you know, and I'll be at the memorial service and that's it. You know? Right. And also it, it's kind of interesting because I think that it's it's – it indicates that Ensign Rowe is perhaps a bit more fatalistic than we think she is. Oh, yeah. I I, I figured she would be fatalistic, actually. Did you? Yeah. I, I, I mean, especially in her first episode, you know, she doesn't think this plan is going to work, and she's kind of, like, pissing on everything. That is true. You and- know, now, yes, she's been – she's in a place that accepts her more. She's finding her home, you know. The, this episode – this se- – the series has made it very clear again that the Enterprise is a place where flawed people can go and find a way to excel and find a place that accepts them. You know, I mean, yeah, Data himself at one point in this episode said, like, you know, Jordy was my best friend. He always talked to me like I was a person. He always accepted me. You know, we we have seen time and time again that these are people who didn't quite work elsewhere. Yeah, um, yeah. and yet are all working towards the same thing and do work well together and, again, have found their niche. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I also, I mean, and I also like that Ensign Rowe is becoming part of that. Right? Yes. Because, because I'm thinking specifically about that scene with, with Picard and Data and, and Riker in the, in the Turbolip where they're talking about the, the memorial service and everything and what, you know, what do you think? Yeah. And, you know, Picard is sharing his memories of Geordi and, of course, they're very geeky and, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. That's it's Geordi. And, you know, Riker is saying something about Ensign Rowe and he doesn't finish it. But I think yeah. that's kind of what I think is interesting about it is that the show is able to really sell the idea that Riker, I think... I think Riker expects a lot out of Ensign Rowe because yeah. he knows the kind of person she is. And it's not that he doesn't like her or doesn't respect well, her. It's that he respects her too much. They, they, I think they, they, the show has made it so clear how – I mean Rowe and Riker aren't together all the time. But they have a very 
and I want to say this in a very neutral tone. They have a very passionate relationship together. They bring out very strong emotions in each other. It's because they're basically the same person. That's that's exactly it. I mean, let's also face it that Riker is, you know, this is a woman he slept with who just died. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but, I mean, I I believe that they would, you know, if 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 there was a flash forward to 10 years, you know, and Rowan and Riker are married, you know, yes, that makes sense. They are very... They do have a very strong connection to each other, but a very ambiguous and fucked up connection, you know? I think the fact that she's left still confused about what he would have said to her, and we as the audience don't know exactly what he would have said at the memorial, I think that makes it more interesting because that makes their relationship very interesting. You know, wouldn't have uh, – because I don't think he would essentially say Ro was somebody that I like that I wanted to get to know more. Like, I don't know. I don't know what he would say. Yeah, exactly, I, I, and I love that. And I don't think – I think it's right that the episode doesn't yeah. doesn't do it because I don't think that there's any way to write something that would have felt uh, – Satisfying. Uh, felt satisfying, exactly. Yeah, I think so. And 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 frankly, I think too, you know, the, the relationship that the two of them have – I mean, we saw them in that, that one episode where everybody sort of lost their memories and they were very like drawn yeah. to each other. Yeah. You know, and also the fact of the matter that, that Picard says – or maybe it was Riker, I forget. One of them said that if she hadn't had that thing happen, um, she'd be a lieutenant commander by now. Yeah. I mean, that's – like you oh, know, yeah. she's pretty young, and she, I think she's only you know maybe been out of the academy for a few years. You know, that's one step below where Riker is. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and so the implication is that she's moving up very quickly. And Riker, I think, was the same way. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely the same way. I think the other thing I like about the episode, of course, is that you know Data gets a chance to talk about Jordy, to talk about their friendship. You know, it's not really the the, the point of the episode. There's nothing really like no. driving it forward. But but this is just a nice it's a nice episode because it allows a lot of different character beats to come through and doesn't oversell any of them. And yeah, this remind I mean it reminds me of how much data got out of, you know, Tashi Yar's memorial service in yeah, a way. Like yeah. he that was a very formative moment for him, and you know he. I, I mean, I think they go a little on the nose when you know, Larry, you know, Ensign Rose says, you know, oh, he seems almost human, but at the same time, like Data is mourning, right? Data is mourning. Data is feeling sad. Data is missing somebody, and I, you know, still say he has emotions, but, um, you know, and I love the funeral that he pl- ends up planning. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's a Nolan style funeral, and you know that's that's perfect. <laughs> I also like the Riker immediately pulls out his trombone and goes to town. Yeah, yeah, it's all very nice, and I think that it's a little weird that they scheduled the memorial service for eleven o'clock at night, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, it's when everyone gets off of work, <laughs> I just wonder if like the writers actually understand like. 20, the 24 hour clock like they always pull out these numbers and it's like the memorial service is a 2300 hours wait what <laughs> they're having the service at 11 o'clock at night okay and i guess at the end you know the end of the episode ends about where it where it had to yeah they it, you, the second you knew that they they mentioned the memorial service it's like oh right you know there that's where the climax of the episode is going to be and of course they're going to figure out a way to refit but as a special effects sequence, you know what I mean? Like, right. as a big set piece, that worked. Right. You right. know, you get the sense that they went to a hell of a party afterwards, you know? Well, apparently, if if, if we're to believe what was going on, it's in Roe and Jordy just ate a lot. Okay. <laughs> also, he also, really liked those. Why are you having the rolls at the end? Like, those are, like, before breakfast dinner. 
No, because they fill you up. So you want to eat them at the end. But you eat them at the beginning because they give them to you while you're waiting for your meal. Well, this is the Federation. They don't have money, so they, you can just get whatever you want whenever you want it. There's no like order here. They don't. You don't give. You don't get free rolls because everything is free. Yeah, I know, but like they still. But, but you're still waiting for the food to replicate, and like you get the bread. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it works that they way. They have like Richard. the bread like over to the side, and it's like when you have like the new guy like they getting the bread. They still have restaurants. Together. People still cook. Yeah, so they cook to the bread while they're cooking the pasta. God, do you have you never been out to eat at an Italian place? No. No, I haven't. Mia. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and of course, Jordy gets to be a little bit. Of, I don't know. It's kind of weird because I guess we're supposed to think that they have a different relationship now because they've been through this experience together. But it's kind of he's kind of catty at the end. <laughs> like, it just strikes me as a yeah, little like for her. I think that makes sense. Like, I yeah. let's face it. You know, if, if if anybody can take some sarcastic jokes at her own expense, it's Sense and Row. You know, because she. She dishes it out, too. I, I suppose that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the one that the, – the joke that he makes about, you know, oh, well, you know, this actually pummeled you. You know, it was a pretty astute one. It's a, yeah, that's true. It is pretty astute. <laughs> she so. has to admit that was a good one. And I guess the final thing to mention about this episode, of course, is that, you know, we have a new um, transporter chief. I thought she'd been there before. Uh, maybe she has. I don't know. I feel but like I've seen her before as an actress. I wasn't she one of those like in head engineers before Jordy appeared. I don't think. I so. feel like she was. I feel like there was a late, an older woman engineer. I don't know. Maybe there was. And she fucked up at something too. But I, I would like to posit that this episode would not have happened if Chief O'Brien had not been kayaking in the holodeck and been off duty. Well, that's obviously the case. So he was missing with Keiko and this Clara. Is, this is really, this is really Chief O'Brien's fault that this happens. Fucking Chief O'Brien. I know, right? <laughs> What's wrong with that guy? So much. All right, well, before we uh, give you the episodes for next week, we'd just like to say that uh, if you have any thoughts about this episode, just go to the post uh, on our site, trackaboutshow.com, and share them. We will read them and love them. Can I do the Twitter? Yeah. If you want to go on Twitter and tweet at us, our Twitter name is trekaboutshow. We also have Facebook, facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. And we're getting a MySpace next week. Uh, That is not true. What about a Friendster? Sure, we can do that. And then also, uh, if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, please go ahead and do that. Uh, we are still running a contest, <laughs> the, the, the formless, nameless contest, to see who gives us the best iTunes review. Or the worst iTunes review. No, the best. No, because like, I think if there's one that like just totally demolishes all our credibility forever and ever, and we like the review lands us on the street, I think that's like important enough to read. No. Okay. Well, next week we are wrapping up the fifth season. We are Ooh. we are rapidly reaching the end of the next generation. Wow. It's and I know Richard's gonna be excited about this one. It's the inner lights. I know that one. You know that one. I've seen that one. Yeah. And Time's Arrow. I've never seen that one. It's okay. <laughs>